mention that, but next week is the time that we really begin emphasizing for the next two or three weeks, even into January, the blessed privilege we have of giving our money that goes direct to the foreign mission field, international mission field, to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, okay? Unashamedly, I want to say to you, I expect you to give. You need to give. You need to give where it hurts, okay? Uh, I don't talk a lot about money. You'll be hearing more this next year. There's some things I'll be sharing uh, with you, but uh, gang, I, we, we have to get the gospel of Jesus Christ in this culture, in this world in which we live. Nobody does it better than Southern Baptists. And so I am going to be giving sacrificially to it. My wife and I always do. And I just want to say boldly to you that uh, we have a, a major goal, 45 grand, a lot of money, not to God, to us. And I want to ask you prayerfully, humbly, to, to give sacrificially. It'll be the best Christmas present you give. Um, your kids and grandkids have more than they need, uh, but people all over the world don't have the gospel, okay? Second thing I want to say to you is, gang, I, I know that uh, Sundays are busy. There's a lot going on in your life, okay? But I, I want to ask you to be here tonight, okay? Not, not because we're having a business meeting, you know. Uh, not that. Um, that's part of what we have to do once a year. Not because Kyle and his family are here. You ought to be here for them. And as I said in my, if you're on Facebook, we're going to pound Kyle and hug Brandy. Um, but not just for them. At the end of our business meeting, I'm going to take a few moments. And I have something very important to share with you, okay? I want to talk about our future. And God has uh, clearly shown me, I believe God has clearly shown me, uh, what we as a church need to do over the course of the next several years that's going to pave the way of, of Indian Springs far beyond my time. And if you're not here, you're going to miss it, okay? This is your church. You're invested here. And I'm going to say to the second group, just like I'm saying to you, I I'm looking at you, James. I expect you, guys, I expect you guys to be here, okay? Because I have something very important that I need to share with you that's going to far go beyond our generation, okay? So let me encourage you to to be here this evening at 5, and uh, we'll have a great time, okay? All right, well, listen, let's take our Bible. I don't, I don't have a long time this morning. I'm going to be introducing our church plant to you, our, our church planner, header, upper guy. Uh, but uh, let's take our Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4, okay? Joshua chapter 4, I'm going to read a few verses with to you and make a few comments to you this morning. be a little bit different of a, of a, of a message, kind of. But I think it's very important to where we are as a church. Now, when we come to Joshua chapter, in fact, I was, we may come back to Joshua in February a little bit because uh, there's some things I'm not going to be able to say uh, that, uh, that I may reserve for February after the Christmas, and there's things in January that uh, I'm going to be sharing with you. So we may come back. But in Joshua chapter 4, in verse 1, here's what we find. We find the entire nation now has crossed the Jordan. Now, you would have thought if there was going to be some kind of excursion into a land to conquer it, it would have just been um, the Army or the Air Force or the Navy or the Marines or the Coast Guard, something like that. But the whole nation, we find, has now crossed the Jordan. Uh, we find the Lord again speaking to Joshua. That's kind of interesting. What we find in these first six, seven, eight chapters is that the Lord will speak to Joshua, and then he'll kind of close down 
and he'll expect Joshua to lead the people. I'm sure the people are wondering what's going on, what God is saying. Then he'll pick it back up. Well, in chapter 4, verse 1, we find the Lord speaking again to Joshua, okay? And here's what he says. Pick out 12 men. Now, I don't think the reason 12 is that they're 12 tribes. I don't think that if I need to pick out 12 men. Uh, but I think for that time, for those people, what God says, pick out 12 men to pick up stones from the middle of the river, carry them to Gilgal. Gilgal is the camp, the staging point of the conquest of Jericho. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know you can uh, play too much upon the name Gilgal, but Gilgal means a rolling away, uh, removing. And so the idea of many commentators is that the reason they're at Gilgal, and Gilgal is a pretty significant place to the nation, by the way. They'll come back there. Uh, is the removing of the reproach of Egypt kind of idea, and some like to do that, okay? I want us to stand in honor of God's Word. I want to read to you Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip a few verses and read verses 19 through 24, okay? Joshua chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, Command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Carry them over with you. Lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, According to the number of the, <coughs> excuse me, the tribes of the sons of Israel, let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, "What do these stones mean?" then you shall say to them, "Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever." I want to read verse eight as well. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place, put them down there. Okay, let's move on down to verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He says to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. And all the peoples that, excuse me, look at verse 24, that, there's a purpose. Why all this? That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Father, I, I have just a moment. Help me to communicate. Help us to understand how this applies to us today, for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. All right, thanks, be seated. Let me tell you what the title of the message is, okay? What do these stones mean? 
Now, to them, it was actual stones, right? They would set it up, and it was something visible that they could see. And we're going to apply that to some of the things that, that, that are in our church, some of the things that you see surrounding you today, okay? One of the things that, that we did uh, last year is we began to realize that uh, we were getting jumbled up some with some of our ministries. Uh, some of the ministries we have are direct gospel-related ministries. Some of them are, tend to be more in the compassion area. Both are very important, but they're a little different and they're a little distinct. And what I found was some confusion, at least with, which is not hard for me, but I felt it in me. And so I figured, well, if it's, if it's in me, there's probably a little bit of confusion in others. And so what we did is we just kind of broke out and we identified uh, that which is gospel-driven and that which is compassion-driven, knowing that even the compassion-driven ministries have an indirect gospel uh, theme to it. You with me on that? Everything's the gospel. You see, gang, let, let me make a statement to you. Uh, Jesus didn't die so that people could be fed. Jesus didn't die that their bellies would be fed with food, okay? Jesus died so that their sin could be forgiven. Everything is gospel, okay? So be sure you understand what I'm saying. Uh, but we know that there's a direct way and then there's an indirect way. Even our indirect way is for the gospel, that the cross might be magnified, that people might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior Lord. There's just a different approach. And so what we did, we kind of split those apart, and what you see around you is that. Uh, we have, in a moment, you'll meet Will from Bona Church in Seattle, one of our church planners. Or we've come alongside of him. He's the church planner. We've just come alongside of him. And then there's uh, Dominican Republic and Macedonia and some of the compassion areas, the recess thing you saw. Those I wanted you to think of, and I don't think we're stretching Scripture. I want you to think of those as stones, Okay. And, and I'll, I'll address that. So that's why the title is, What Do These Stones Mean? Now, when you read our text, there's three specific reasons for the 12 stones. Okay, I'm going to mention them to you, but I want to emphasize one which I just kind of alluded to. Okay, The first one, I want you to look at verse 23, because the first one that really struck me was that these stones were a message of God's power. Look at, look at verse 23. The Lord your God right up the Jordan from before you. A.W. Pink, great commentator of years gone by, called this a, a message in stone. It was a message to the people that this astounding event that allowed them to cross the Jordan on dry ground was not the works of the people or the might of the people, even the sacrifice of the people. It was because of the power of God. Who dried up the waters? The Lord your God dried up the waters. Now, they were involved. They had to cross. They were involved. They ultimately had to fight. But what I believe Joshua, what God is telling Joshua is they need to know that whatever great is things that are done are done not through the power and the might of man, but are done through the power and the might of God. And that has to be true for us today, dear people. I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and someone in our state convention, he reminded me that Indian Springs, over the last 18, 19 years, Indian Springs has given well over $1.2 million to Southern Baptist causes. Now, just look at us. We're not that fancy. We're not that big and mighty. 
We're just who we are. We're, we're, we're hard-working, blue-collar people, some on fixed income, some that, that just have to work hard for, their, for whatever they get to take care of their families. And yet, we gave, as a church family, well over $1.2 million over the last 19 years for the causes of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world. And it's not because of what we've done, but it's according to the blessings and the power of Almighty God. That's the first reason for the stones. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so it would have been easy for them, and maybe, I don't know, easy for us if we're not careful, to look back and forget that this was all God and to become very proud, maybe, perhaps arrogant in some respects, and they did, didn't they? And, and so they had to guard against that. The stones were a reminder of who dried up the Jordan. It was a sermon that it was really not about them at all. It was about the God that they loved, the God that they served, the God that they had the honor of following and serving. And so that's one of the reasons for the stones. Second reason, if you look at verse 24, is that it was a, a monument of God's sovereignty. Um, verse 24, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. came about when all the kings of the Amorites, which were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed. Their what? Hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Let me tell you, the stones proclaimed the existence and the nature of the one true God. That's what verse 24 to all the peoples of the earth would know. Gang, we live in a culture that wants to make fun of and ridicule the Lord God and his people. But you listen to me. In their ridiculing and in their laughing and in, in perhaps their persecuting, you know what they're saying? There is a one true God. We know it. We don't like him. We don't like you. But as we follow him and as we take our stands for him, as we set our values and our, our goals and all those things, what we are doing is we're proclaiming that the Lord, our God, is great. And we don't really care what other people think, but they know what we're doing. And that's what these stones did. We need reminders today that God still rules today as he has always ruled. I was watching TV uh, the other day, a news thing. I spent too much time with that. And I was watching, and I was watching probably as many of you did, the chaos that is going on in our country. Uh, con confused people, angry people. Uh, and I'm not judging because I'm not black. And I've never been there. I've never lived like that. And so I don't have a perspective that, that allows me to be uh, understanding, okay? And, but I was watching all of that. And then I was watching all the, 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 the responses and the anger and all of that. And I'll tell you, I found myself slipping into a little discouragement and a little bit of, uh, not, not depression, but, you know, I thought, you know, I might just go fishing the rest of my life. You know, have you ever been there, you know? Kind of thing. Peter wanted to go fishing. He said, I don't understand what's going on with this Jesus dying. I think I'll go fishing. I said, hey, let's go fishing. So I thought I might do that thing, same thing. 
And anyway, as I was watching all that junk, I, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's not shook up here. God's not shook up. And when people castigate them, and people in this world make fun of them, and ridicule them, and ridicule believers and followers of Jesus Christ, he's not shook up about that, gang. You know, it doesn't, it, it makes us angry, maybe. Makes us defensive a little bit, perhaps. But I want to tell you something. It's not shaking up God. And the stones here in verse 24 were a monument of God's sovereignty, you see. But there was a third thing. I think the main thing that I want to emphasize for just a moment, okay? It was a memorial of God's covenant faithfulness. And that's what I want to emphasize. In fact, twice, if you, you, and I think we need to read it again, twice, listen to what I said. Look at verse 6. Let this sign be among you so that when the children ask later what do these stones mean, you can explain it. Look verse down, down to verse 19. Um, no, verse 20. No, verse 21. Chapter 21. No, verse 21. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? You see, can I suggest something to you? That the stones were really not for the people of that day. Gang, they were there. They saw the mighty act of God. They saw the waters heap up. They walked across on dry. In fact, it's kind of interesting. It says they walked across hurriedly. Now, that's not theological. If you were looking at water heaped up on one side, how'd you get across? Yeah, you'd run, wouldn't you? They were there. They saw that mighty work of God. I want to suggest to you that these stones were a memorial to those who were to come later. And when they asked about their history, then the old men, and the old women could point to a pile of stones in memory and say, this is how it began. Here's what God has done. Here's where we came from. If you look at verse 6, the word sign that is used in verse 6, in Hebrew it's a word which means a sign or a, a, a banner. And so the stones were a visible reminder to them of the invisible God who acted on their behalf and they needed those stones because, and the ones coming behind them especially needed those stones. You know why? Because the road would be hard. There would be times of fear and discouragement. There would be some moments of defeat, and they would think that their defeats, their failures are final. They never are, but when you're in a moment of failure, you feel like it's final. You feel like all the world is dumping in on you and there's no out and there's no rebounding of that. There would be times of fear and discouragement and they also needed those stones because, see, children easily forget the values and the instructions of their parents and their parents' God. I, I want to say to you before I kind of wrap all this up, and I don't want to stretch. Um, sometimes in Old Testament it's easy to stretch. Uh, spiritualize. So let me just tell you, I'm going to spiritualize for a moment, okay? 
um, stones where there is a visible reminder of the invisible God who acted on their behalf. They needed to know what those stones represented. Can I suggest to you, grandparents, can I suggest to you, parents, your children need desperately to know what the stones are in your life, what the values are in your life. My, my dad, he wasn't a Bible, a 20-pound Bible-toting Christian, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He, told me, he taught me what integrity was and honesty was, and I'd never done it the way he did. He was so much better than me. I see in my son that. So I somehow a generation got skipped. He went from my dad, my, my dad to my grandson, and then there's me, you know. Um, I'll never forget, I, uh, one summer I was a kid in college, and I needed a job bad. And my dad was a personnel director of a plant down in El Dorado, and they had allocated money to hire a couple kids to work at the plant. I desperately needed a job, and I didn't have a penny to my name, and my dad just didn't give me money to say, go play. You know, and I was in college, and so I went out there and applied and was interviewed by my dad, you know, something weird. And um, I walked away thinking, you know, he's my dad. I'm going to get it. And they paid pretty good, you know. And my dad didn't hire me. And I, I was so upset, angry at dad. I didn't speak to him. I hollered, you know, and... And, you know, I didn't act very good. And I finally, he set me down. And I, and, he, and I said, Daddy, I don't have money. I need a job. He said, Son, I know that. But it wouldn't be right for me to give you a job when there was like 30 guys applying. And all of that would have been his favoritism. But I said, Daddy, I work. He said, Son, I know you work. But it wouldn't have been right. Those are the values. Those are the stones of my dad. I ended up finding a job for a dollar an hour fixing 18-wheeler truck flats. You know, uh, I didn't make any money, but I'll tell you, I could have been GQ guy of the, world, of the, of the summer, you know. Uh, but you see, those are stones. You understand, I'm trying to, I'm adding a little bit, stretching a little bit. But gang, you look around here. You know what these are? These are stones. These are ministry stones. This Friday night is recess. And I, it's to me, I don't stay long because I'm afraid they're going to make me work. Uh, these people sacrifice for special needs, kids, so their parents can go have a date because they never get that, you know. Um, uh, Kevin Benson, under the bridge, feed the homeless. Now, some of you are going to say, well, they'll go get a job. Well, I don't know. That's their business. Maybe they don't know how to have jobs, but God's called us to feed, you see. We go to the Dominican Republic. We've built the building that's now a church. We go to Macedonia to walk alongside of my son. And we're going to have a church. And we have a church in, in, in Seattle, don't we, Will? And see, those are, all those are kind of stones. And, 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 and it's because of verse 6, someday your children will ask. Because of verse 21, years from now, your children will ask. You see, memorials are very important in memorials memories huh, are crucial, but not for the present, for the future. Hey, that's why we spend a bundle of money developing pictures. I go into Walgreens, they just draw up. My wife saves up. She gives me the stuff, so go get them pictures. I close, I, my wife, I didn't. I got blamed for it. They, we shut down all of Walgreens, the whole, the whole all of Walgreens. 
when I went to get the pictures, there's like thousands, and I went to get the pictures, and they said, hey, here's the guy that shut down Walgreens. I said, that's not me, it's my wife. Why do we spend all that money and put them in binders, and we have these trips, trips to, you know, to East End, and you put all the pictures in and all. Why do we do that? Because pictures are important, not to us. Their pictures are important to those who went before us. When the tornado came and it, it killed my dad, and, and I'll never forget my wife, my sister, and my sister-in-law, we're all sitting down on the floor, and we salvaged what pictures we could. And they were dividing them up, going through all the pictures, because they didn't want to lose who we were. And so that's why this is very important, that kids can get a sense of who we are, where we came from, and hopefully, hopefully, who our God is. And when it comes to Indian Springs, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Tonight you'll hear my heart a little bit more. It shows us our past, it strengthens our present, and it sets the course of our future. And gang, for the sake of our kids, as we prepare for the future, we must not forget the past. We have to let our kids know that we have a past so they can prepare for their future, see? You and I are standing on the shoulders of great men and women who, through the years, have been faithful here, who had a sense that there was supposed to be a church here on this little spot of the world, who sacrificed their money and sacrificed their time so there could be a church plant. And we're standing on their shoulders. But it's critically, in fact, it's not critically, it's crucial that our young people be able to stand on our, they have to have shoulders to stand on. They need to be able to stand on our shoulders because you see their future one day, if the Lord tarries, will be a memory. Every ministry is a stone. It's a message to God's power. It's a monument of God's sovereign control. It's a memorial to God's faithfulness. And so that's what this day is all about, this morning, tonight, okay? Now, I want to take a few moments. Will knows he doesn't have a long time, but Will, you got a little more than I thought. Uh, you got at least three minutes. Uh, I already got one of our guys mad at me because, see, you only give us a minute, and you're giving Will ten minutes, you know? So don't abuse us, or I'm in a heap of trouble, okay? I want you to welcome uh, Will Mayfield. Will is a young man from Texas, has roots in the Northwest. God had laid on my heart many years ago that I would pastor a church that would have a, a church plant somewhere in the Northwest. And through David and Kathy Fogarty, I got to meet Will, and God moved upon our heart, and we support Will. We're partners with Will in a church plant in Seattle. And would you guys welcome Will and give him a few moments of your time? Would you do that? Thank you, Pastor Tom. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. I, I just want to read this one verse uh, because this is really my heart concerning <coughs> Indian Springs Baptist Church. It's Philippians chapter uh, 1 where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And you may or may not realize you've been with us since the first day and actually before the first day. And I uh, just want to share you a little bit, share with you a little bit about my story and how we got to where we are now. 
In 2007, I was actually pastoring in Irving, Texas. Now, I grew up in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Washington, where I'm at now. My father was a pastor there of a church that no longer is in existence. Uh, But he moved us to Texas, and he was a pastor in Texas, and so I went to high school in Texas. Met Dave Fogarty, my youth pastor uh, in Texas. And uh, in uh, 2007, after pastoring for about seven years there, felt that God was leading me back home to Seattle, Washington uh, to plant a church. Now, in my mind, and in the mind of my family, or at least what I was telling my family, I have uh, four children who mostly are adults now, um, but at the time in 2007, I told them, you know, we felt like we were going to get to Seattle, open up the U-Haul, and plant a church. That was kind of what was on our mind, Um, but God had different plans for us, and uh, 2007, we got there, and uh, next thing you know, I was mobilized uh, in the Army uh, to Joint Base Lewis-McChord down south, uh, the southern part of Washington. I was deployed to Iraq during that time. It just seemed like one thing after another was getting in the way of planting the church. And I really feel like now, if I had known in Texas what, that it was going to take six years before we actually started planting the church, we might have returned the U-Haul, unloaded it, returned the U-Haul, and stayed in Texas, Right. Um, God doesn't always give us the details, right? We kind of find them out as we go sometimes, and that was certainly the case with us. But what I didn't realize about it was that during that six years, God was really making my family uh, fall in love with Seattle. And my wife being a native Texan, that was a big thing, right? And so for my wife and and everybody to kind of start to become Seattle during that period of six years, uh, I have my oldest son graduated from Ballard High School. And Ballard is the neighborhood in Seattle where we're planting the church. I have a son that is now a senior in Ballard High School. I have a younger son that's about to start a middle school in the middle school that's in Ballard. My wife is a nurse at Swedish Hospital in Ballard. Our butcher, our baker, our barber, everything is in Ballard. We live our life in Ballard. And so if you know anything about Seattle, um, or if you don't, what you need to know is that it is built on neighborhoods, kind of like the five boroughs in New York. You have all these very distinct neighborhoods. And so as my family was getting to know and love the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle where I was growing up, God was preparing us to plant this church. And so there were some very significant things that happened along the way. And in 2013, uh, we actually uh, came in partnership with the North American Mission Board, and they took us on as North American Mission Board uh, missionaries to plant the church. And... uh, about September of that year, and we were working to get things going. We were trying to start a core team. We were starting to have kind of preview services, and we were kind of doing this all on our own uh, and, and really struggling with it, to be honest with you. And in September of that year, I got a call uh, from Pastor Williams, and uh, it was really out of the blue, and it was through a conversation with uh, Dave Fogarty over there uh, that he called and said that he had a burden for Seattle. And this was uh, really the first pastor that reached out in this capacity outside of the state of Washington. And so he flew up, and we walked through uh, Seattle, and he got to know my neighborhood, and we talked. And one thing that stood out, and, and that was a very significant moment uh, for us and for my family, but one thing that stood out uh, from Pastor Williams is he said, we want to partner with you, but we actually want to work with you. We want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you plant this church. We don't want to just send money. We want to be a part of what God is doing there. And I have to tell you now that that was exactly what we needed in that moment. 
If you think about the, the message we just heard and, and think about the stones and, and what they meant to the children of Israel, that, kind of, that was kind of like a stone for me, Pastor Tom, because um, that was the fir- you are the first church to partner with our church plan. You're the first one to stand along. And so a lot of the, the hesitation and the struggle that we were feeling, it was like a burden was lifted because all of a sudden now it wasn't just my family trying to plant this church in a city where only 3% of the entire population attend an evangelical church of any kind, a very dark city. But now we had a church in Arkansas that was loving on us, that was praying for us, that was supporting us, that sent mission teams to work alongside of us. And I got to tell you now that that was a moment for us Hmm. when all of a sudden the wheels started moving forward. That was the moment that God used for me, a church that's all the way across the country and a pastor that I've never met in my entire life to say, we believe in what God is going to do through you. And so since that time, we started meeting uh, weekly on Easter of this year. We've seen some people saved and baptized, and we give God the glory for that. Um, our team has grown beyond our family and actually um, well beyond our family. Uh, we're gaining momentum in the city of Seattle. Um, man, God is winning, and we know that he always does. It is the most exciting thing that I've ever done in my entire life. There's nothing like it. We love our city. We hurt for our city. We now realize that instead of just planting Vona Church, and and Vona means hope. It's a Nordic term for hope, and Ballard was originally settled by Nordic people. So Vona means hope. Our desire is that we would um, introduce people that is uh, to the hope that is found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But now we realize that it's not only about that church plant, but because we believe that the key to reaching the city of Seattle, the key to having a transition or a cultural shift from being a, a, a city that is cold and often antagonistic toward the gospel to one who is embracing the gospel, the key to reaching the city is reaching the neighborhoods. And so now we see the team that God is putting together is going to plant a church in the Ballard neighborhood, but we're also talking about the next neighborhood already. So we believe now that God is calling us to become the first in a network of neighborhood church plants throughout Seattle because, like I said, the neighborhoods, they're, they're different, they're unique, they're distinct from one another. Um, you go across the Ballard Bridge into Magnolia, and they need the Lord too, and they need a different, slightly different cultural expression of the church. And so, anyways, um, I do. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you and, and I'm just so excited uh, and privileged to be here today, and I've waited for this day just to meet you, just to tell you thank you, because you are making a difference, not just here and, and in all the places represented, but, but specific to me, you're making a difference in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Washington, uh, because you're, you're thank, you're, your faithfulness. So I thank you guys, and, and we do. We love you guys and appreciate your support. Pastor Tom. Thank you. When, uh, when you have your prayer time and uh, maybe God's Spirit stirs your heart for Vona uh, and what we are coming alongside of well, they're the ones who are on the front line, uh, pray encouragement for them. But let me tell you what, what Will needs, okay? Will needs supporting churches. Um, the way our North American Mission Board operates, it's a little different than the International Mission Board. 
So Will's got three years, and he and his family have to be self-sufficient. Um, there's no way humanly that can happen. It can happen supernaturally, uh, but Will needs support. And so when you think of Will, you pray that God will give him pastors. Uh, I'm just proud. Of, you don't know this, but I'm proud of our church because we flew Will down. And uh, we've given Will the opportunity, because he didn't have any money, uh, to make some appointments with some pastors. Um, I don't know about right here, but at least in Texas, we didn't even support a Texan. That's crazy. Uh, but in Texas so that he might build some support. And we're going to do this again. This is not his only trip coming. We're going to see that he comes, and next time, hopefully, maybe there'll be some opportunities to meet some churches here locally, okay? Uh, it's exciting things that God does. And, you know, I, you, you don't have to, you don't have to have a, be a huge church. I, I, our size church is considered a large church now. I, it kind of blows my mind because I look at empty chairs, but... Um, we are classified as a large church, which, but I've been listening to uh, some CDs of, uh, of a mega church, and that pastor is going to be with us in, in, in January, the third Sunday of January. He's an incredible guy. He's got an incredible story. And uh, he was talking about his story, where they came from, and as, uh, as how they came, I look at us and how we've come. And the fact of the matter is it all works together. For the glory of God. And uh, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any mega churches. Okay? It's all going to be the family. And uh, you're going to enjoy John Morgan, Sagemont Baptist Church, by the way, uh, when, when he comes. Okay? Um, I'll, I'll close. I'll probably, I was going to do this tonight, but I think I've got two, two minutes. Um, we were listening to how their church just uh, released and gave money and, and all of that. And Paul and I were listening as we were going to Jonesboro Friday to our grandson's birthday. And I said, Paul, you remember. And she laughed. It was about the same time we had this flashback of memory. And our church was getting ready to, and I had just gotten turned on to the Lord. And our church was getting ready to uh, embark on a building program. And we needed money. Paul and I had lived in a house, bought a little house that had a lot of problem, foundation problems. And we, we scrounged. For, for years to try to come up with enough money to put down on another house. Years. And uh, no Christmas kind of stuff. We kept building this pot. And we, we finally had come up with $3,000. And that was going to be the, the down payment to help us get out of this house into another house. That night, we, uh, that day, we had a, a day like this. And that evening, we came together. And, and we needed, I forget how many thousands of dollars. And God began to move on my heart, and I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we knew what God was saying. And so I, uh, I stood up, and, uh, and I was, uh, listen, I was, I was a young Christian, kind of. Um, and I said, we're going to dump our, our $3,000. And I told Paul, I said, that means we're going to live in a house that has fractured foundation. And she said, I know. You know, then in the, spite of three, in the span of three years, the 3000 that we dumped grew to be 10000 And we were able to, and we didn't know how to sell the house. And a guy in my chair said, I'd like to buy that house as a rent house. 